Ready, uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. This is a, a low-budget film, like, you know, that's sort of rep <laughs> repetitive with tonight's, uh, the title of the show, Creature Features, but this was a, a low-budget film, I'm sure a first effort, and it uh, has a lot of Texas written all over it, shot down the border there, and what I want you to do tonight is sort of stick with this film like it was yours, it was your first effort, okay, and you can tune it off, tune out of it, whenever you think that you could have done a better job. All right, but please wait till the opening credits, all right? Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're getting ready for the Thanksgiving holiday. We're going to be talking about turkeys, not the kind that you eat, but cinematic turkeys. You may <laughs> like them, you may not. We're going to discuss some of them today. Take it away. We're going to send it up to the satellite. Walker. All right. Thanks, Larry. Yes, of course, it's getting close to Thanksgiving here in the States, and that brings about fond memories of turkey. Oh, yeah. But, but for us, for those of us who love watching films, and especially genre films, uh, there are many films that people consider to be turkeys. <laughs> you know, that, that term coming about, I think, in the, the mid-'70s, of course, the Medved brothers had their Golden Turkey Awards and so forth. Um and, you know, there's a lot of uh, genre films that got lambasted and, oh, they're so bad, you know, or they're so bad they're good um, because you can sit there and make fun of them. I mean, MST3K, of course, made a, a you know, a whole show out of it. Um, but I think for a lot of us, uh, a lot of these films, yeah, maybe we know that they're not the greatest films, but we still enjoy them, you know? Maybe maybe we enjoy them on different levels, or, or maybe we think, you know what? They just missed the boat. They didn't understand the movie. They didn't get it. Um, so there's certainly a lot of films out there that uh, that we like, or we like for a certain reason, that are turkeys, uh, and uh, I think, I, you know, we've kind of in the background talked about some of them that we wanted to discuss today. But, uh, uh, you know, some of the more famous ones, I suppose, would be things like, you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space. And a lot of the things that are now cult classics, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody knows about those. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Hey, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek The Motion Picture. Hey. <laughs> You know, one man's turkey is another man's treasure, so there you go. But, uh, yeah, why, uh, I'm, I guess I'm curious to see what you guys came up with. I know I have a few on my list, but uh, let's get this. Let's get this party started. Yeah, Chief, why, why don't you give us, a, give us a start here? What do, you, what do you got there? Well, I mean, being the horror sci-fi monster genre that we usually uh, focus on, uh, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, that genre may have more turkeys than most. Oh, yeah. Because you did have all kind of the cheap throwaway and the independent and the B-film, B-movies and all that. But, uh, and, and, you know, you can make a cheap B-movie of people talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you have to suddenly come up with special effects... And a monster, and you know how good is that rubber suit you're you're parading around? Um, then yeah, I think this genre has uh, probably more turkeys than most. But you know, I, I enjoy them all. I love them all. But uh, <laughs> you know, people who've listened to the podcast, people who know me, know that uh, 
You know, I love Japanese monster movies and all that. So, you know, Toho, Dae, Godzilla, Gamera, whatever. Um, and, you know, to me, there's not a turkey in the bunch. But to most, a lot of people out there, there probably is. In fact, I had a uh, an online battle with uh, the, quote, Japanese or, quote, Asian film expert Rick Myers at one point. <laughs> where he was like claiming that a bunch of Godzilla movies have little kids who ride bikes around and get into military operations and, you know, help figure out how to destroy the monster and all that. And I told him none of the Godzilla movies have that. <laughs> Border you know, Gamera, Borderline, they have, there's, there may be a couple, but none in Godzilla. There's been a few with little kids, but they weren't like in with the military or in with the scientists and telling them what to do. But no, he wouldn't believe me. So, I mean, there's a lot of perceptions out there on a lot of these films. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I, you know, it, rather than defend the entire genre as a whole, I thought I'd focus in on, now you mentioned Medved's Golden Turkey Awards. Right. And, uh, one of the Japanese films that he had on the top of a couple lists was Attack of the Mushroom People, <laughs> also known in Japan as Matongo. And this was released in 1963, and it really is, in my opinion anyway, a good film. If you sit there and watch it, you know, the problem with bringing Japanese films over to the States is at the time they had to dub everything. And so people are more focused on, hey, that, their lips aren't syncing up with the dialogue. And depending on how good the dubbers are, it's like, boy, these actors suck. Well, yeah, it's not the actor that sucks. It's the guy who's providing his voice that sucks. So um, I definitely would recommend going back, watching it with subtitles in the Japanese, original Japanese, because it has an all-star Toho cast. With Hiroshi Koizumi and Akira Kubo and Kenji Sahara, Kumi Mizuno. I mean, these are like top-line Toho actors, many of which also acted in a lot of Akira Kurosawa's films. Mm. So they weren't like B-movie actors. They're actually good actors. And Ooh. the movie is basically based on A Voice in the Night, which was a short story by William Hodgson. And... uh not a lot of similarities, but that was the uh, inspiration for it anyway. And it's it's kind of a 1963 psychedelic drug type film because it's basically these castaways are on an island. And we'll get to that later. But the, these castaways are on an island and uh, they're running out of food. And all the only thing they're left to eat are mushrooms. And when you eat these mushrooms, you become a mushroom yourself. And so there's the whole thing like, you know, don't eat the mushrooms. I have to eat the mushroom, you know, the whole back and forth. And, of course, the personalities of the different characters, some are, you know, clashing and that. Some are hoarding food and hoarding, you know, the mushrooms. Some are just going right out and eating them up and off they go. And, you know, mushroom people they are. But um, it's very, it's a very good movie, psychological and uh, a lot of drug allegories. And I mentioned, you know, castaways on an island. If you look at these characters, there's a captain, there's a first mate, there's a, there's a uh, celebrity actress, there's a uh, very shy kind of farm girl, and, you know, there's a, there's a rich guy. So, I mean, basically, you, you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. I think it was very much, this was 1963, I think it was very much... Uh, Somewhere back in the uh, consciousness of the people who created Gilligan's Island. But, so if nothing else, you could watch it just to see that and to figure out if if there's really a connection or not. What would have happened to the castaways if they, if they swapped had the eaten cast? psychedelic mushrooms? <laughs> well, they did. Didn't they have that episode where uh, that crate of vegetables that were radiated or something, they wound up on shore. Oh, God. And, uh, like, Marianne ate the carrots so she could see far away. Yeah. uh, Mrs. Howell ate beets, 
And so she was running all over really fast because she had all this energy and and all that. So, yeah, I mean, basically. Uh, and there was also an episode of Gilligan's Island with poison mushrooms. Where wow. I think Marianne ate the poison mushrooms and they called it like Lumus seclumus was the like disease or whatever, the poison that she had. But, uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of a lot of crossovers. So, you know, go check it out. It's not a bad movie. It's a very good movie if you're not watching the edited, dubbed Attack of the Mushroom People, which I grew up loving anyway. But, you know, if you want to see how good this movie actually is, you need to search it out in the actual Japanese language with subtitles. There's a there's a fun story for those of you uh, that love creature features. Was uh, Bob Wilkins no, not showing? Eventually, he showed the movie, but didn't he preview the movie, Bob? And he he watched it backwards. Something the reels were out of. Well, when he, when Bob would get the movies for the show, he had a 16 millimeter projector in his his garage, and he would go and watch the movies before he'd show them. And uh, yeah, he was kind of thinking, well, God, you know. He watched, obviously, the English dubbed Attack on the Mushroom People, and he thought, this is so bad. What am I going to do? And that's kind of where he started, where he'd come on the air and he'd host the movie and he'd say, you know, this movie's so bad, you should switch the channel. And then he'd get out TV <laughs> Guide and start reading what's on the other channels and all that. And uh, that kind of became his shtick. But, uh, yeah, it was Attack on the Mushroom People. And he did a, uh, a return to Creature Features special where he showed Attack of the Mushroom People but it was, uh, I can't remember what the uh, method he showed it in was. But basically what would happen is you'd be watching this movie and all of a sudden it would get to a certain point and it would start like fast forwarding, like fast scanning <laughs> to the next scene. You know, like, all right, you know, slow scene, down to the next one. And I think he showed the whole, whole thing with commercials and his interjections in like an hour. <laughs> wow. So, but no, Tiger Mushroom people, Matongo, check it out. Cool. Well, let's kick it back to the satellite. Karen, what do you got for us? Well, I thought about this, and um, I I have to represent for the Star Trek contingent. Uh. Now there are a number of Star Trek films that I think are actually so bad that I don't want to watch them and that would be <laughs> that would be in the next generation uh, portion of the films uh, insurrection I it's so boring and so terrible I just I just have no interest and then of course nemesis well we've talked about nemesis a little bit and it's yeah it's just dreadful I think when when the the actors start getting more and more control over the scripts. Things really start to go down the toilet. Um, but <laughs> like Moon Knight. But, well, yeah, who knows? Uh, but but there is one uh, uh, original series film that is much maligned. That I understand why why people think it's bad because it is pretty. It's not a great film. But there are moments in it that I think are that kind of exemplify the best of Star Trek, and that is Star Trek V: The Final Frontier. So, it came out in 1989, famously directed by the man himself, William Shatner. Um, what can you say about this film? Well. <laughs> probably has the worst effects of any of the Star Trek movies. They skimped on the uh, the effects, and the budget was cut back quite a bit. Um, was it was it still ILM that did the effects? No, they went with somebody else. And you know what? I don't recall at the moment, but the magical world of Wikipedia would probably tell us. There was some kind of a strike going on, too, at the time. <laughs> And it kind of screwed up the production. Or maybe it was the writing. Maybe the writing. Some yeah, they had some different issues with effects and with um, the production overall. Um, let's see. So, so ILM had done the previous effects for the previous films. Uh, up up to Star Trek Four. 
with the whales, right? Mm-hmm. But they were all busy working on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Ghostbusters 2. They also wanted to save money. And uh, apparently they went to Associates and Farron, who doesn't sound like they did a great job with it. Um, but anyway, in any case, uh, you know, one of the other big things with this film, of course, is the introduction of Cybok, who was the then unknown uh, half-brother of Spock, was like, I still think was a horrendous idea and probably led to us getting, you know, later undiscovered siblings. Um, there's a lot of like poor ideas and, and the tone overall is incredibly uneven in the film because they wanted to continue some of the humor from uh, the voyage home because that had been so popular. So they, they have the characters doing, you know, ridiculous things like walking into bulkheads and stuff. Um, it's just really, really uneven and, and sloppy and stuff. But, but, there are still moments in this that are just really great Star Trek moments. There's a, uh, the moment when, you know, Cybok is trying to convince Kirk and Spock and McCoy to, to join his cause. And he's showing them, you know, these pivotal moments in their past and trying to like, I release your pain, release your pain. And, you know, Kirk is like, my pain is what makes me me. You know, I need my pain. And it's just such a classic Kirk moment, you know, and then the moments with the this big three camping together and talking about their lives together and so forth. And DeForest Kelly does a great job in this film. He's he's like the the anchor of the the cast, I think, keeping everything going. And well, he um, has that whole scene where he's looking; they're looking at his past, right? It's and very it's also moving. like they they're addressing his age and. You know, he's shaking when he's trying to, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was, I think, I think he took it more seriously than the others as far as, you know, what they were pointing out about him. Well, he had that whole scene about his, yeah, his father was uh, critically ill and he decided to, uh, you know, let him go, let him, let him die. And then, and of course, they found a cure to whatever's father's illness was you know shortly after so he harbors this guilt which we never knew we never knew about him uh so you know there's these great significant character moments in this otherwise you know kind of turkey of a movie <laughs> there's these great moments for these star trek characters um that we've you know followed for all these years well, let's, um, let's not forget you know we found out the, the past of bones with this father but we found out Ohura owned boas and and feather fans <laughs> and could dance. Was that the merengue? Or I mean, that was just stunning. Um, her captivating the the audience on Nimbus Three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there you go again. One man's turkey is another man's treasure. We, we saw the first toilet in in a Star Trek movie with, with yes. three of them in the in the brig. I'm sure that was a highlight for many. I, I remember watching this movie in Berkeley with uh, with Walker, and of all the critiques you could make on the film, the thing that really pissed her off didn't just bug her, pissed her off, was them having Scotty walk into a bulkhead. <laughs> the chief engineer of the Enterprise that knows this ship like the back. What? Give me a break! Oh my God! And. 30 years later, or however many years, <laughs> it's still a sore spot. It sticks out. It does. It does. It is just a cheap, cheap joke at his expense. But the thing is, I will still watch this movie. It's not my first choice of a Star Trek movie to sit down and watch, but I'll pull it out and watch it occasionally because it does have its high points, you know? It's like, and I kind of feel like almost any Star Trek, uh, classic Trek even the worst episodes will have its high points. So, you know, is it a turkey? Yeah, it's a turkey, but it 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 has you know, there's a little bit of great flavor here and there in it. It's so. well basted. Yeah, every every once in a while. Do you kind of get an inkling that Scotty and Uhura maybe 
sort of. Could have been a couple. Yeah, that was weird. Or? It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Might have been cool, you know. But could have been. And then we got to meet God, or an alien who, who thought they were God. Well, and that was another good line. What does God need with a starship, you know? Yeah, at first they're ready to get on their knees and start praying, and then Kirk's like, well, well wait a minute, what, why, what, what does God need with a starship? Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Bone, you don't want to piss off the Almighty, Jim. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I thought I thought it was funny that you know back in the DVD days they were releasing like double DVD sets of each of the movies, and the second one would have the director's cut, and they'd bring the directors back to like re-edit and do you know what they want to do with the film, and then they got to Star Trek Five, and Shatner's all ready to do his, and they're like, eh, no, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how they've redone uh, a number of the films and they keep doing special versions and all this other stuff, but Star Trek V gets no love. Um, And I know Shatner has spoken at many events about how he would love to get, you know, uh, a new version where he could get new special effects and do, you know, because there's famously the whole scene on that planet with... uh, God or whatever, he wanted to have these big rock monsters that were supposed to be chasing Kirk and all this stuff was supposed to be happening and they just didn't have the budget for it, you know. I don't know that it would have been a great story. I still think the story was not a very good story. But sure, maybe if he'd had more budget and they could have done some stuff with the effects, maybe it would have at least looked a little snazzier. Um, But yeah, it doesn't seem like anybody's chomping at the bit to like give Shatner a, another shot at it. I, I will say if, if they would have gave me more of them camping, I, I would have been okay with another half hour. <laughs> so. Sitting around the campfire singing. And then there was a, you know, the, the commander with the big heart and, you know, the crocodile tears at the end of the film where, you know, Kirk says, I thought I was going to die in spot. You are never alone. He's going to hug Spock, and he's like, Captain, not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> yeah. That movie is just great. I mean... <laughs> there's some there's some good bits, you know. That's the thing. There's some good bits. It's not entirely devoid, it, but it, it's definitely... Uh, it's a lower, lower rung entry, but not completely worth... I'll watch that before I would ever watch Insurrection or Nemesis, so... Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh yeah, don't don't get me started with those next generation films. <laughs> Especially the latter. Yeah. What about you, Commander? Well, I think it's fairly obvious that I was going to pick Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> joked around, I joked about it, I talked about it. I just love that movie and I was in, in preparing for this, I was reading some of the criticism that other folks and, and let, let me state too for the record, I don't know if I've put this out there before, whether it's food or movies or music, I can't stand critics. And, and no offense, but in my opinion, if you know, you don't have the the talent to create your own food recipe or your own music album or your own movie. What gives you the cojones to tell someone whether their food, movie, or music is crap or not? Let alone trying to influence me, because I may love Peach Cobbler, and and you as a critic don't. I may love Ben Affleck, and you as a critic don't. So, you know, it, it just, it, I'm always very cautious with what other people try and influence or tell me to like or not like that being said i couldn't stand aquaman but uh the (laughs) and coincidentally jasmine loves aquaman and that's fine i'm sure i know why yeah well yeah (laughs) big reason (laughs) but you know to me you know bob it started off talking about all the things we talk about comic books horror movies I never equated fandom with, like, sports. Ah, screw the 49ers. Ah, screw the, you know, Patriots. And 
there's this huge competitive like evil means in in sports that I never thought that there was a place in you know what's faster the Enterprise or the Millennium Falcon that's a nice debate to have and you know which captain would you like to serve under Kirk or Picard and why you know things like that it was never like well you know screw you know anyway that being said so Batman versus Superman uh, in reading some of the background on this people thought one of the criticisms was that they put too much in this movie introducing the new Lex Luthor introducing a new version of Batman I, I thought you know, a lot of fun is made over her Martha. Martha. <laughs> Martha Wayne. Why'd you say that name? I I was, I, you know, into it. And and the funny thing is, just like the end of Avengers uh, Endgame, I told this story before, I'm on an airplane, we're going to Greece, and I don't even hear what's going on, but I see Cap tightening the shield and, and the horde of, you know, minions coming towards him from Thanos. And, and I, I tear up because it's like this moment where Sam says, on your left, Cap, you know, in the dawn of the, the daylight and the sun. And that, the end of, spoiler alert, Batman versus Superman, or, you know, Superman in the casket, but the rocks kind of rise, teary-eyed. I'm so <laughs> invested in this character. And look, who's, who's going to be able to replace Christopher Reeve and and the version of Superman, uh, my dying day, that is going to be my cinematic Superman. But Henry Cavill came along, he gave a good, you know, try, did okay. Um, Ben Affleck is Batman, Batfleck for Batman, not exactly what was in the graphic novel, but uh, the dialogue worked for me. Jeremy Irons is is, uh, Alfred. Um, and then Gil Gadot shows up and, you know, Wonder Woman helps fight at the end of the film. What's not to like? So, for my money, call it a turkey. I don't think I necessarily agree with them. I do not. Batman versus Superman is my misunderstood film that is near and dear to my Well said. Thank you. And we, and we remained quiet during the whole thing. And I, I see both of you very, very much for that because I tell you, over the years, <laughs> who, who's up next? Is it Bob? Yeah, it would be me. Take it away, sir. All right. Um, you know, speaking of speaking of Batman, I thought, you know, what movies really, really gets panned all the time, and it was Batman and Robin, right, with Arnold Schwarzenegger as oh, Mister Freeze yeah. and. And uh, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. And I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good cast. And they introduced Batgirl. Ah, I'll give it a watch. So I watched it last night, and I'm scratching it off my list because <laughs> I really cannot, I cannot defend that movie. So, <laughs> moving on. Valiant effort. <laughs> yeah, I watched it. I gave it a chance. I was going to, you know. Be the staunch defender of, of Batman and Robin, but yeah, no, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, nice try. The next one on my list was going to be Speed Racer, and I thought, well, you know, I, I really kind of covered all that in our uh, Hidden Gems episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffice to say that it was panned, but I still think it's a very entertaining movie. So instead, last night I watched. Pacific Rim Uprising, mm. which was a sequel to Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Now, if you sit there and compare the two, I mean, you got a director like del Toro. I mean, that I, I still think Pacific Rim is a great movie. And so what had happened was it did okay here, but it did gangbusters over in China. Ooh. And it made big bucks over there. So when Pacific Rim Uprising came along, it was basically put out with more of the Chinese market in mind than the American market. And I think a lot of people just didn't get parts of it. And I kind of equate the two. The original Pacific Rim is sort of like like Gundam, where you got these big 
tanks and they're shaped like robots and you're, you know. Pacific Rim Uprising is more of a throwback, I think, to the days of like Mazinger Z and uh, Combatler V and Rydeen and all the, the 70s super robots, which I love, unabashedly love. So I do enjoy Pacific Rim Uprising for that for that reason. And then you also have a couple twists and turns with some of the characters that return from the first, the second film. And uh, it keeps it interesting. So they're not just doing a retread. Uh, so, and of course the final battle is like four Jaegers against one giant Kaiju at the bay, you know, right outside of Mount Fuji. So it happens right there in Japan. And, uh, very exciting battle trying to keep this giant creature from getting to Mount Fuji. And, uh, again, you know, I think your cup of tea, not your cup of tea. You know, it, it is an enjoyable film and I think it can be enjoyed that way. If you're not comparing it to the art, I guess the artistry of Pacific Rim. I mm-hmm. mean, Del Toro has some amazing shots in that movie. In fact, if you get the chance to watch the 3D version of it, it wasn't really shot in 3D, but they had the 3D conversion for uh, for the 3D Blu-ray. Looks amazing. Looks like, yeah, that must have been shot in 3D. And uh, the depth, uh, there's a lot of the color palette matches characters and things. So, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of thought, I think, that Del Toro put in to Pacific Rim that... Pacific Rim Uprising just being sent out there as an action film, a lot of the artistry was lost. Mm. And, uh, you know, John Boyega is a star. So, you know, if you like him in Star Wars, then you probably like him in Pacific Rim. <laughs> but, you know, he basically plays a, uh, he basically plays the son of Pentecost, who was Idris Alba's character in Pacific Rim. Um. And so, of course, uh, Mako his daughter is his sister or half sister or whatever. And, uh, he's basically a scrapper. He goes out and he, uh, finds parts of Jaegers and resells them. Cause this is like, you know, years after the original Pacific Rim and everybody's sort of at peace. And so, you know, you've got these black market Jaegers and things that, uh, he's like stealing parts for, but, uh, he, of course, gets recruited back as a pilot when uh, when a rogue company basically comes out with their own Jaegers and starts attacking things with the Jaegers. And uh, he's got to help defend the world. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I think, you know, give it a chance. I think it's, it's pretty good. Just don't expect great art. Just expect a, a good action movie. Well said. You know, recently uh, I had the good fortune of going to a movie theater and watching the 3D conversion of uh, Dawn of the Dead, the original uh, George Romero, and uh, they color corrected the blood and the zombies. And what a! I mean, I I love the movie as it was, but it was a great um, addition to the, the kind of plus that. So I can appreciate a 3D conversion. Uh, well, I mean, I think the most amazing 3D conversion I've seen is actually the original Jurassic Park, mm. which obviously was not shot in 3D, but the 3D in the Blu-ray, amazing. Uh, from what people tell me, the 3D conversion of The Wizard of Oz is amazing. And I haven't had a chance to watch that. My 3D plasma that I had is now a gaming monitor back in uh michael's room <laughs> so i can't watch my 3d movies anymore but oh, uh i would if i ever got a chance to watch wizard of oz in 3d i would probably do it <laughs> wow good Baki, what do you got for us well i have a little film from 1978 called Laser Blast. Oh, Laser Blast. So Laser Blast is one of those things that, uh, you know, people like to joke about and make fun of. Um, 
and it's you know again admittedly not not a very good movie but it's not a horrible movie i mean it was just one of these films that was made pretty much on the fly to capitalize off of star wars and actually in the in the film there's a point where there's for some inexplicable reason there is a billboard on the side of the road it doesn't say like go see star wars or it doesn't have like a picture of the you know the star wars poster or something it just says star wars and the, the lead character blows it up with the laser gun so you know they're very like conscious of star wars in this film and the the guy who made it wanted like he you know oh i want this to be the next star wars dude you this is not the next star wars um, but it, it's an entertaining film, and I think because there may be some elements of, like, wish fulfillment in that the main character is this teenager, and he finds a ray gun, a laser gun, um, and is able to go around, like, blowing shit up, basically. And so, you know, who hasn't wanted to do that, right? Um so it's kind of exciting. Unfortunately, in order to use the ray gun, he has to wear this pendant, and the pendant starts uh, it uh, attaches itself to his chest, and then he starts mutating into this like green fanged thing. The more he uses the gun, probably the best part of Laser Blast is these stop-motion aliens. Mm -hmm. So the gun was left behind. These aliens at the beginning of the movie, movie, you see this alien that looks like what the kid starts turning into, this green-skinned guy, and he's running around with a laser gun. And then this spaceship shows up, and these stop-motion aliens that look kind of like turtles without the shell mm -hmm. come out, and they're like going, <laughs> and they're looking around, and then they see the the dude with the laser gun and they blast him but then inexplicably instead of going and grabbing the laser gun they see an airplane flying overhead and they go and they go back in the ship and take off <laughs> so they leave the laser gun and billy the kid finds the laser gun and starts Billy's playing with kid. it well uh, yeah okay billy billy the kid <laughs> and it's uh, later on in the movie we we flash back to the aliens on board their ship and they're like pressing buttons and doing stuff and then the video screen on the ship comes on and it's clearly like their boss ruler or whatever he has like a little symbol on his chest and he comes on the screen and he like flashes a hand symbol and he's like meh, meh. and they're like meh, meh. and then he, he's like meh, 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 meh. and he's like shows them the a video of the kid getting the gun and blowing stuff up and then they're all like ah and they, they fly back to the planet like why didn't you take the gun and they're like they're like oh well plane flew over it they're like well go get the gun so then they have to go back to earth and they have to like make up for their mistakes and meanwhile billy is like freaking out and turning into this like green dude and shooting they're blowing up things blowing up cars these bullies who messed with him he blows them up and it's just like it's totally ridiculous uh, and it, the strange thing is, like, there's actually a couple of well-known actors in it. Roddy McDowell was in it and Keenan Wynn. Um, I don't know. They needed some money or something. Who knows? Uh, but it's just funny and goofy, and you've got stop-motion aliens and laser guns. So, I, I, you know, I don't know why it gets so much crap. Yes, there are, like, there's bad acting, and it's cheap, but, you know... I think it's a fun little movie. I I love Laser Blast. Uh, they'll have the VHS tape. I have the Blu-ray, and that was the best like five-minute version of the film I've heard in my life. I, that was just fantastic. <laughs> well, I didn't see it in the theater when it came out, but I think it was on TV really quickly because I know I saw it on. I think it was probably like KTLA. They showed all the sci-fi and monster movies pre my driving years. Mm. So it had to be like 79 or something. Um, I didn't see it at the movies either, but I think I know someone who did. I bet we do. Yes, I did see it. In fact, that's probably <laughs> the last time I saw it was in the movie theater. I, actually, I think I saw it on the drive-in uh, right. back when it came out. And uh, now I know like, like Butch Portillo who, was on our Ray Harryhausen episode 
that's like one of his favorite movies. And uh, I think Dave Allen did the special effects on it. Yeah, that. he did. And uh, he also did a, a really cool King Kong Volkswagen commercial. Oh, I remember that. Which, uh, well, yeah, it was basically a takeoff on King Kong. But when he comes off the Empire State Building, he's got one of the biplanes under his arm and he likes throws it in the trunk of the VW and gets in and drives <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, I think Dave Allen was the one who did, the, did all the stop motion effects in that. Yeah, he did. And Greg, I think it was Greg Jane made uh, the spaceship that he animated. Nice. I was going to say Butch has a lot of production material and like photographs and stuff he was shooting. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good time. Good, good movie. Yeah, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to go revisit it again. Yeah. Like Fifty years later, almost. Wow. You'll have fun. It's 278, 88, 90, 2008. Oh, wow. 45, 44, 45 years ago. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, kids, as we continue with our uh, golden turkeys, I'm, I'm going back to the world of superheroes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about uh, Superman 3. Start, <laughs> Christopher Reeve. Also, Richard Pryor. Ooh. And <laughs> the, the film, unfortunately, did not know what it wanted to be. Did it want to be a comedy? Did it want to be a Superman movie? Did it want to be the introduction of a new villain? It's supposed to be Brainiac, and instead it gets kind of like dumbed down. Was it? Uh, oh, oh, who was bought? Um can't think of his name. He was the man from Uncle. Richard Vaughn? Robert Vaughn. Vaughn. Robert Vaughn. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that movie was a hot mess, but <laughs> Richard Pryor did his best. There was a video game component of it. And um, the, the thing that I like is Superman facing his dark side. And it, it's kind of funny to me now, but, you know, you, the dark version of Superman is dressed in a Superman costume and he's just, you know, has a scowl on his face. And the good version of Superman is dressed as Clark Kent. <laughs> so um, he, he goes in to confront him and he's at the bar and he's taking shots, you know, at the bar. And it's like, <laughs> that's not evil Superman. That's my Uncle Gary. Yeah, but anyway, um <laughs> They, and they have this battle in a junkyard and, you know, kind of talk it out. And, you know, Superman ultimately wins and, you know, they merge together. It kind of reminded me of that episode, Star Trek, where Kirk gets split. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that. Yeah. The dark side and, and then the, the enemy yeah, is in. Yes. Yes. Great episode, too, folks. If you haven't seen that, that episode of Star Trek, it's. Some good acting by Mr. Shatner, the man. Um, yeah, but, you know, even even with all the hokey effects and, you know, I'm not sure where they were going to go with Richard Pryor, but he was very popular at the time. So, mm-hmm. You know, they brought him in and then that kind of killed the Superman franchise for a number of years. Till Superman 4. Oh. And then that really killed the franchise after that. But I digress. Uh pass the the turkey off to our uh, next presenter well that was also around the time they did uh, Supergirl right with Helen Slater yes so yeah yeah that was another movie Superman 3 which I saw in the theater and haven't seen since but I mean I I remember the scenes as you're talking about them and it's like okay yeah I was uh, I think I was just disappointed with the comedy element in it but yeah, it it was almost like two different movies, you know, with and then ultimately, you know, Richard Pryor saves Superman because he's a scientist or a, a computer engineer or whoever. Anyway, it, it 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 was a hard watch, but it was a fun watch as well. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, what a super blast! Yeah, you know, uh, maybe I'll stay. I've got like all these movies listed down, but. Uh, I'll probably stick with the superhero genre then, and I'll stick with my uh, my Japanese slant on this stuff. And uh, 
I'm going to talk about Starman. <laughs> now we're talking Ken Utsui. We're not talking Jeff Bridges. Uh, and that John Carpenter ripoff of Starman, but uh, you know Starman started in Japan as a as a TV series called Supergiant, and then it was brought over here by Walter Manley Enterprises and uh, dubbed and released as four different movies, starring Starman, who came down from the Emerald Planet with the Globe Meter, which gave him all these powers. And he fought everything from salamander men to Nazis to what have you. And, um, they, you know, there's a lot of action in these movies. They're old, you know, they're old black and whites. But I think, um, how was it, Sinister Cinema or something released those back in the day? Ooh. I think you could still, uh, it came out through Image. And you could still, I think you could still get them. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, there was like evil brain from outer space and invaders from space, attack from space, I think invasion from space. But um, yeah, they're all a lot of action, a lot of fun. And uh, Ken Utsui, who played Starman, would later go on to play the detective in The Ring. So if you ever saw the movie The Ring, the Japanese version of The Ring, uh, the detective in that is Ken Utsui, who played Starman. Interesting fun fact. But, uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, there was one day I, like, faked being sick so I could stay home from school. And my mom <laughs> fell for it until she saw me sitting in front of the TV around 12 o'clock on Channel 36 and watching one of the Starman movies. And then she's like, that's a little bit too much of a coincidence for me. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, Star that's that's pretty much all I'm gonna say about Starman. But um Starman is very basically also in the in the vein of like Prince from Space or uh uh Invasion of the Neptune Men. Yeah, either one of those. But if you uh, if you can find them and you can check them out, do so. Ooh. Blocky. Well, uh similar to Bob, I had thought about talking about one of my favorite films, Zardoz. However, I did talk about it extensively in our hidden treasures. I'm starting to think our hidden treasures were also turkeys, but... <laughs> some were, some were. So uh, uh, I, will, I will just point the listeners to our hidden treasures episode so they can hear about Speed Racer and, and Zardoz. Uh, and instead, I, I'll go back to a classic that I mentioned at the top of the episode, which is Plan 9 from Outer Space. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, my God. This movie, I, I heard about it before I ever saw it. I had heard about it from different um, sources. Of course, no Internet in those days. Um, but between things like the, the Medved book, a uh, cult movie book by Danny Peary. Um, oh, gosh. I, I don't know what else. Maybe the psych... I don't know if I had the psychotronic film book then. Well, but so were... I think that was the antithesis of the Golden Turkey Awards because Michael Weldon, who did the uh, psychotronic encyclopedia film, mm -hmm. you know, he treats all these films, you know, pretty much uh, unbiased. And yeah. He's kind of like has lists of the films and what they're about and background information. And yeah, you can look through it without being insulted by someone not liking a film that you do. But I think for the longest time, plan nine was kind of held up as like the worst movie ever made. You know, that was the distinction that a lot of people gave it. And so with, with a title like that, I was always on the lookout for it. And so going through the TV guide every week, like, when is it coming on? When's it, can I see it? I want to see it. And so finally I did find it in the TV guide at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night. So I tell all my friends, I was like 14, 15 years old, this movie, we got to see this movie. And they're like, you're, you're insane. And I did wind up, I was sleeping in the, the TV room on a sleeping bag with the alarm clock set for like 3 a.m., which I probably had stayed up till like 1, so I just slept a couple of hours. And then 
okay, it's on, turned it on, watched it, because we didn't have a VCR at that point, so it was like you caught it whenever you caught it, and that was it. And yeah, it was like, wow, this is like the strangest piece of crap I've ever... But it was, you know, also entertaining, because, you know, all the things, like, obviously, you know... Lugosi is not Lugosi in a lot of the scenes, and then you find out later, oh, that was his, uh, the chiropractor playing Lugosi because Lugosi had died, and, and you know, and he then was you like, he was like six Johnson. inches taller than Lugosi too, right? Yeah. He's like half a foot taller than Lugosi, and then of course Tor Johnson is endlessly amusing. You know, I go get flashlight out patrol car, you know, and all this other stuff, and the cardboard graves falling over, and all the, uh, you know, but like. They're like in this world all of their own, which we can only sort of comprehend what's going on. It's like Ed Wood has like he's in another reality and it all makes sense to him. And you kind of grasp that. And it's sort of fascinating to watch. And especially at like three or four in the morning, it's really fascinating to watch. (laughs) But the thing about it, why it's it's maybe a turkey, but it's not. It's it's it is entertaining in its own way. I mean, it's it's not like. I like Bob kind of hit hit on this at the beginning of the episode. Like, I think why these get more noticed than like just like a drama or a romance film or whatever is because the genre films have all this other stuff, like either special effects or like monsters or whatever going for them. Right. So they're a little more they got a little more zing in them. You know, if you see a bad movie and it's just a drama, it's like. Oh well, it's just bad, badly acted or whatever. If you see yeah. a bad sci-fi movie, it's like, oh, the monster, you know, was made out of ping pong balls or whatever. You know, it's notable in some way. So yeah, I still think I still think Plan Nine, even though it's it's probably really played out. I mean, we had the whole Ed Wood movie with Johnny Depp. You know, it's it's a little played out now, but it it's still worth checking out because. It, it really is like an amazing artifact of one man's mind. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. The granddaddy of turkeys. Well, I think that people who think Plan 9 from Outer Space is the worst movie ever made, they've never seen like The Creeping Terror <laughs> or Robot Monster, Robot Monster or E.T. <laughs> Hey, like I said, you're going to have a critic tell you what you should like and not like? Yeah. Go go like what you like. Go watch what you want to watch. Joy it. Sing the praises that it deserves. <laughs> and on that note, I'll be talking about Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> I had the pleasure of watching this on VHS, a bootleg VHS that Karen's brother purchased at a sci-fi summer. Oh, my God. And her brother got the biggest kick because this film was never meant to see the light of day. So the special effects were not completed. Um, the costumes were true to the comic book. I, you know, appreciated that. But also the poor man who played Dr. Doom, <laughs> this mask over his face, and you couldn't, it, it was inaudible. You know, why <laughs> he was delivering and was sitting there on the edge of the bed trying to hear there's Reed Richards saying, well, Doom, you're not going to be able to use the portal. We're going to stop you. And the thing is like, you've got that right, Reed. And then Doom will say, well, Reed. And you're like, what on earth? (laughs) He's waving his hands. and So I I don't know if you can get the bootleg anymore. Um, Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. it's out there. Um, you, you really need to to take a look at it. Um, there was a documentary that I saw, and it really got in depth. They they interviewed almost all the actors. They even talked to Corman a little bit uh, on what happened. You know, he the the license was about to expire, and I can't remember how he got the license for the film. And Marvel was starting to you know sell the the x-men to fox and and the hulk to universal and spider-man you know they were, they were starting to build out their cinematic uh universe and you know corman i, I want to say the documentary he knew he had a limited piece of time and they they finished the film 
and then it got locked away and someone broke into the film vault and got a hold of it and that's how the bootleg went out there um you know i would love if the fantastic four you know mcu version comes out with a nod and a wink because it's multiverse now that original film (laughs) furthermore i would hope that marvel would redub those lines for Doctor Doom so we could understand more of the plot points in that film. Um, for the time that it was made, for the for the lack of budget, Roger Corman famously makes low-budget films. Um, it is a fun movie if you can if you can find it. So that's my last pick. We are at that point in the podcast where we're going to have to redo a, a second turkey movie, because I know we have a, a, a list of turkeys still to go through, so maybe we'll have an Easter turkey episode. I don't know if we <laughs> wait for next Thanksgiving. Uh, but it is time for our censor sweep, and this episode's censor sweep is uh, our chief engineer, Bob. Bob, take it away. Well, yes, this is not really something that you can go out and run out and buy somewhere. Maybe you can. Maybe I just don't know about it. But uh, I was in Spirit Halloween this season, Mm. and they always have their big display in the middle of the store with all their animatronics around it. And this one had four what they call bubble tubes. And they're like (laughs) six foot high and uh, clear cylinders filled with water with a red light at the bottom and a, and basically uh, air hose. So basically it bubbles, it's red, and it's, it just looked really cool. It was a cool effect. So I you know, went out to the, up to the front and I said, hey, so uh, what do you do with those bubble tubes at, after Halloween? And they're like, oh, we have a list for people if they want to buy them. <laughs> Put me on the list. So uh, I asked early enough. I was like number one on the list. So November 1st, when the store was closed, they gave me a call and said, come and get your bubble tubes. And they originally quoted me like 40 bucks for each one. I thought, okay, that's that's fair. And when I went there, the manager was like, oh, well, we're having our half off on everything. So they're 20 bucks a tube. I'm like, dang. So, yeah, I got four of them here. One's going to go in the tiki patio. One's going to go over by the tiki bar. I'm going to see. I haven't had time in the last week, but I'm going to see if I can pull one apart and change the bulb out for a green bulb. And then I can put it next to the uh, creature corner, next to the creature from the Black (laughs) Lagoon pinball machine. And I should have one extra, which I'll probably keep as a spare or parts or whatever. But uh, it was very cool. Just very cool. Uh, You know, I always go to Spirit after it closes to do the post Halloween 50% off sale and buy an animatronic or two. But yeah, this time I was able to get part of the display. So yeah, I'm, I'm giving away the secret, but you know, from here on, I'm going to pay more attention to those displays. And I might be able to get a few things that we could use at like a planet eight booth. And when we do a, a planet eight listener party or a creatures con or something, or, Maybe I'll find something I can use somewhere else or in the monster garage. Who knows? Could be uh, could be anything in those displays. Very, very nice. The possibilities nice. are endless. Well, ladies and gentlemen, kids of all ages, thanks again for listening. Uh, look, get on the social pages, uh, Facebook and, and uh, Twitter. Let us know some of the turkeys that we maybe didn't get around to this episode that are on your list. And... Um, you know, we can have a little discussion online about that. Appreciate you all for tuning in, listening to us uh, time and time again. Make sure you share the uh, Planet 8 social pages out there with other folks. And until next time, stay safe. Peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planetatepodcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Planet 8 Podcast. 
We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. not bad movies, just misunderstood.